Hey everybody, I'm Pastor Jeff Dawes, lead pastor here at Stockbridge Community Church. And I just want to say thank you for listening to our podcast today. I hope this message inspires you and encourages you. Enjoy today's message. And so this morning, I want to talk to you about that. There's a guy in the Bible that I want to introduce you to. Uh, His name is Elijah. And Elijah was a prophet of God. And what does that mean? That means that he was a person that God would speak to in the Old Testament. God would speak to this man, and this man would come down and speak to the nation of Israel, God's people, and tell them exactly what God wanted them to say, uh, God wanted them to do. And so the problem is, is that during Elijah's time, there was a king on the throne of Israel who was not so much for God. Matter of fact, his name was Ahab. And Ahab was like one of those kind of people that was like, oh, God, maybe, you know, I'm not really sure. And then Ahab did something that was uh, really solidified that he wasn't going to be for God. And that was he married a lady by the name of Jezebel. And Jezebel worshipped an a, a, a idol by the name of Baal. She called her god Baal. And Baal was known to be the, uh, uh, this uh, god of the, of the thunder and the lightning and the rain. And so she said, you know, no longer is the nation of Israel going to serve the God uh, that Elijah served, the God that we know, but they're going to serve the God of Baal. And, you know, Ahab was like, uh, he wasn't really that uh, kosher with that. But anyways, happy wife, happy life, right? And so anyways, he's like, okay, that's it. So he began to make uh, the religion of Israel uh, to worship Baal the God of rain and the God of thunder and the God of lightning. And so, so God had a problem with this. And Elijah, so God told Elijah, said, I want you to, to, to pray. And Elijah said, prayed to God. And when he did, he prayed. He said, God, I want you to shut the heavens up. I don't want you to let it rain anymore for a period of time. And sure enough, God did that. Why? Why, would, why did he say to shut the heavens up? Because remember the God of Baal, Baal was supposed to be over the thunder and the rain and the lightning. So he said, to show that you're God, just close up the heavens. And that's what God did. And because of that, the drought broke out and then people began to get hungry. And so the king got mad and Jezebel got really mad. And she said, you know what? We're going to just kill all these prophets of God. And so they began, to get on, began a manhunt looking for Elijah. And so they couldn't find him. And after a period of time, God came to Elijah and said, Elijah, I want you to go down and I want you to talk to old Ahab. And Elijah said, God, don't you know that these men, are, they want to kill me? He wants to kill me. And so finally he goes down and he comes down to meet with Ahab. And here's what happens. He gets to the meeting with Ahab, and he says, okay, we're going to settle this issue once and for all. I want you to get, we're going to build an altar, and the altar, basically an altar was this, was like stones that were all around, and it would be like wood put on it in a fireplace. It's basically an elevated place, but this was symbolic because it was always a place where when an altar was built, it meant that the divine was going to meet with the human that something divine was going to happen with humanity and, and that something great would happen. And that's what happened with God's people is that when they built an altar, it was like God met with people and things happened. And so I just want to tell you this, that all spiritual battles are won on the altar. You know where your altar's at? Your altar's right here in your heart. Is that now we have a personal altar with God through Jesus Christ. We have our, and our relationship with God is right here in our heart. That's where the battles are won spiritually. And so it all come down to that. Now, 
I want to take with you, talk to you now on how, how to stand alone with God. I want to give you three things a day from the story of Elijah that I think have the potential to help you out in your life. You ready? Okay, before I give you that, I want you to say this one statement. It's coming up on the screen. I hope you never, ever forget it. So I hope to just, just fry your brain with it today. You ready? Here it is. Let's come up. Let's say it together. You ready? Come on. When I go to the altar, God alters my situation. Did you hear that? Amen. When I go to the altar, and when you go to the altar, your altar, God alters the situation. He changes it. He changes it. So here we go. Number one. How to stand alone with God. Would you write this down? Number one is stop blaming others for your problem. Stop blaming others for your problem. Now, I want you to look at what happens here. So because Ahab is talking to Elijah now, okay? And notice the first thing he says when he sees this man. He says this. When he saw him, talking about Ahab, when he saw, when he saw Elijah, he asked, is it you? Now, I want you to read with me in a moment what's underlined, but I want you to read it with, men, uh, with a middle school mentality, all right? Like you are taking somebody down with your tongue. Let's do it. You ready? Come on. Here we go. The biggest troublemaker in Israel, right? That's right. Just like middle school. Oh, well, let me tell you. Sorry, whatever. Call him a name. <laughs> and so because of that, the first thing that we understand, we learn a lesson from Ahab. When you want to stand alone with God, is quit blaming other people for your problems. And this is, it, it, in our culture today, blame seems to have swept our land. Is that, listen, when, when, when something goes wrong, immediately we're, our culture says, blame somebody else. Get you a lawyer. Blame somebody else. Blame somebody else. That's what our culture says. Blame somebody. And you know what? We blame, we, we blame our parents. Uh, we blame our teachers, we blame our employers, we blame our children, we blame our neighbors, we blame everybody, right? Because it's never our fault. And I want to tell you this, the problem with that is this, is that when you continue to live your life and you try to solve your problems with blame, you get stuck in your problem. You can never get over what you continually blame somebody else for. You have to own it up. You have to own it. And the Bible calls that spirit of always, you always being right, and you never listening to anybody else, and you're always blaming everybody else for your problem, the spirit of pride. Look what the Bible says. It says this, Proverbs 16 and 18. Would you read out loud those first two words? Let's read them. You ready? Come on. Pride. So pride is leading you somewhere. So let's look where it leads you to. Pride leads to destruction and arrogance to what? Downfall. A downfall. I want to be honest with you. I experienced that Friday. You know, pride has a way that you never win the battle. It tries to creep up in your life. And, it creeps up. and I want you to be honest with you. It, it won the battle with me Friday. This Friday, Rhonda and I went down with some friends in, uh, to Atlanta. We did a Segway tour of the city of Atlanta. So here's a picture of us uh, on those Segways. And, uh, and you see me on the end like, yeah, I got this. Because I want to be honest with you. I'm like, you know, I get on the, you know, I get there and the guy's trying to give instructions about Segways. I've never rode one, but it's simple. You just stand on it, you lean forward, it goes forward, you lean back, it stops, you know, and it goes backwards. Big deal. So he's given all these instructions, but I, because I'm a person of pride, and I don't want to hear what he's got to say, because I know I am the man. And I'm going to show my woman that I'm the man. So I get on that thing, and I, yeah, ooh, ooh, that's right. I get on that thing, and I just go around, I'm zipping, zipping everywhere, and as we're riding, Rhonda looks like a statue. She's like, 
going like this. I said, Rhonda, you look like your statue. She said, well, you better quit fooling around. You better quit acting like a fool. You're going to get hurt. Because I would zip up in front of her. I'd cut around. And the guy told her, he said, stay in single file line now. And I would do that for a while. But when he got out of sight, I'd be like, this is awesome. You know, and I'd see the thing around. She's like, don't be a fool. You're being foolish. You're going to be, you're going to get hurt. You're being a foolish. I was like, you need to chill out. I got this. You feel it, right? I just heard the, oh, you know what? Pride comes before a fall, right? <laughs> so sure enough, we're on Ponce de Leon at a very busy intersection. We're waiting for the light to change. So the light changes, and right before the light changes, you know, I'm like, okay, I'm going to zip this thing around here. And sure enough, as the light changes, everyone proceeds across, but me, I zip around. And when I do, the wheel of the uh, Segway falls off the curb, Okay. And all these people are stopped at light. They're all right in their cars. There's hundreds of people in their cars right there. No problem. You know, and I said, no problem. I got this. I leaned forward, leaned back. And I don't know what happened when I leaned backwards. <laughs> but when I come to, <laughs> I was laying on the sidewalk and the Segway was over there. I don't know what happened. <laughs> had I listened, had I not been so proud prideful and listen the instructor said when you get stuck never lean backwards on the thing get off and move it by your hands but no did I listen no because I knew it all and prideful people never listen right because we know it all right and you know what prideful people do is that we fix the blame instead of trying to fix the problem and so I just want you to know as I fell on my can right there and fell down and skint my knee and everything else, right there in front of all those people parked in those cars. And you know what Rhonda did as she saw out of the corner of eye, her eye me falling? She went, zing. <laughs> Later, Gator. And so I'll tell you how I finished the rest of that tour like a statue. Be humble or you will stumble. I stumbled. I was no longer the man. I was embarrassed. It embarrassed me. You know, and it embarrassed me in front of my friends and everything else because I was, I was so prideful. And the Bible says this about God. Look what it says. This in about pride when it comes to God in, in James 4 and 6. Let's just read those first uh, four, four words together. Let's read them. Ready? Come on. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Now, did God have part in body slamming me on the sidewalk right there? I don't know. I don't know. I got a feeling that he probably smirked a little bit when he's doing that. But, but the way forward is through humility. Is that we have to, like, listen, we have to stop blaming people. And Ahab was blaming Elijah for all his problems instead of addressing his own God problem. And so today I want to tell you, you have to address your God problem. You know how you address your biggest God problem? Is that you need Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And so what I want, I want to do something to, different today that I normally don't do is I want to read this Christ follower prayer. And if you're here today and you know that your relationship's not right with God, that, that He's not your Savior, then I want you today to take this moment to make this decision as we pray this prayer. Look, we have a prayer. It's called the Christ follower prayer. I want to read it to you. It's in your program. You can follow along. And this is how humility sounds to God. Dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. That's humility. I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. Please help me turn from my sins and do your will. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. 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 Now, if that's you, 
And you said, you know what, I really need that in my life. And I prayed that prayer. And I meant it. As you said it, I meant that. God heard you. And what I'd like for you to do is just check it on the back of this card. It says, I prayed the prayer to become a Christ follower so we can pray for you. And, and in your new step with God. Would you do that? Okay. All right. So remember what we said. Remember, I think I, want you, I don't want you to forget. Here we go. It's, let's, it's coming on the screen. Let's say it together. You ready? When I go to the altar, God alters my situation. When I go to the altar, God alters my situation. So, how to stand alone with God, number two. Would you write this down? Matter of fact, it's our, we put a blank in there, so you can just put first in this blank. But it's this. Choose God in every situation. Choose God in every situation. You might just want to put the first in that blank right there. Choose God in every situation. Now, again, I'm going to set this back up for you. Remember, the people of Israel have, have you know, like they begin turning it like toward this God of, of Baal. Why? Because remember the, 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 the government has said that yes, we want you to serve Baal. We want you to forget your God. And so the king and his wife and all of his government said, no, you've got to serve Baal. And I just want to tell you this before we go any further. Just because something's legal does not mean it's right in God's eyes. Did you hear that? Just because it's legal does not mean it's right in God's eyes. And so now we go into the story. So here they are, the pressure's on. And so now Elijah and Ahab have come together, and they decide they're going to settle this at an altar, that the God, either, either Baal is going to prove that he's God, or, or our God is going to prove he's God. So they're, at, they're coming to this altar. Now look what happens. Look, look what Elijah tells to all the people. Remember, they get the picture with me. They're around this altar, but there's 450 prophets of Baal that's, that's around that altar. And then the people of Israel have come out to see this showdown as well. So there's thousands of people. So Elijah steps up and begins to talk. Look what he says here. In 1 Kings 18, it says this. Elijah went before the people and said, will you read what's underlined with me? Let's read it together. Ready? How long will you waver between two, two opinions? How long will you waver between two opinions? Look what he says. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. You know, the problem here is this, is that the people of Israel, they, want, they wanted to, you know, they believed in God and they wanted God's blessings, but they also wanted the blessing of their culture. And they wanted the blessing of everyone around them. And let me just tell you something. When you're trying to please God and you're trying to please everybody else, you're the most miserable person in the world. When you're trying to please everybody, you know, without God, and you're trying to please everybody else, then you become the most miserable person in the world. And I want to, so we have to make a choice. You have to choose God. And what I want to encourage you to do, and what Elijah was encouraging those people to do, is you always make the God choice. You always lean with God. You always go with God. No matter what your friends say, no matter what your culture says, you always go with God, and you never go wrong going with God. Amen? It doesn't always feel right. And let me tell you something. Everything that feels right is not always right. Just because it feels good doesn't make it good. And so you always lean into the God choice. Lean into the God choice. Now, this morning, as, uh, there's a verse on your outline, Proverbs 14. Look at what it says. Proverbs 14 and 12. It says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, what? Leads to, that's me, that, you know what, the Bible says there's a way that feels right, but you and your heart know it's not right. And so you have to lean into God's way. It reminds me of a, a, a story that I read uh, several years ago. There's a guy by the name of Zig Ziglar who wrote a book called See You at the Top in the 70s. It's a great book. I still like to read it about every other year. 
And uh, in this book, he tells a story of a, there was a village in Italy where they said there was a wise man that lived there in the village, uh, actually up on one of the hills in the village. And uh, all the people realized he was a wise man and nobody could ever trick him. And so, uh, you know, he just gave such great wisdom. And so there was two young boys that decided that they was going to trick this wise man. So they, they uh, actually went, made their way up to the wise man and they had captured a bird and the bird was in one of the young men's hand. And they went up to the wise man and said, Oh, wise man, you think you're so great? So tell us this. The bird is in my hand. Is he alive or is he dead? And the wise man said, Oh, said, son, let me speak to you. Said, Oh, son, said, you know, you have the choice between life and death in your hands. He said, you know, if, if in your, he said, if I tell you that bird is alive, then you're going to take your hands and you're going to push them down and you're going to crush that bird. And if I tell you that bird is dead, you're going to open up your hands, you're going to let that bird fly away. He said, so you see, son, the power of life and death is within your choice and in your hands. And today, I want to tell you that the power of life and death, whether, you, whether your life gets better or it gets worse, is in your hands. It's in your choice. It's in the power of choice. And so today, we pray that you would choose God's way. When you always choose God, then you're always choosing life. Amen? Amen. You're choosing life. Now, here's the question I have for you is this. The question I have is this. Is what are you saying yes to that's making you say no to God's best? What is it that you're saying yes to that's making you say no to God's best? Because you cannot always, you cannot say yes to God and yes to what's not good for you. You have to make a choice. And today, we want you to make the God choice. Okay? All right. Coming up on the screen. Let's read it again. Here it is. You ready? What, I want you to, with a little heart, and that means uh, get a little bit louder this time. You ready? Let's do it. Here we go. When I go to the altar, God alters my situation. That's right. Boy, you got it out then, didn't you? If I had hair, it would have been parted that time. I felt the breeze go right across my head. That's good. That's really good. Okay, so how to stand along with God, number three is this, is repair your meeting place with God. Repair your meeting place with God. That means your altar. Repair your meeting place with God. Now, we get, it, the story gets very interesting here. So remember, the prophet of God's come down, and then uh, Ahab's come down, and he's called 450 of the prophets of Baal. Remember who he is? He's a God of, uh, of rain and of, of thunder and of lightning. And so they decided that the God of fire is going to settle this issue. See, that's why he was so ticked off anyways, because if their Baal was a God of rain and of thunder and lightning, and it hadn't rained and thundered and lightning in some time, then that meant that God was winning the battle. And so they come down to this big area here. Now, remember, it's like a big camp, like a big bonfire is what it is. It's got it set up, you know. They got wood there. They got, they got a sacrifice on top of this uh, a wood. And so the only thing they can do is that they can just pray. And the God that lights that bonfire right there, that offering, is the God that would settle the deal. He would be the God. And so sure enough, these prophets of Baal, there's 450 of them, and they begin a little chant. They begin to say, Come on, Baal, you can do it. Put a little power to it. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, go read that. It's in 1 Kings somewhere. <laughs> no, it's in Jeff right here. You know, it's right there. So they, they do this chant. And they get it, you know, and nothing's happening. And so we're told, historians tell us, that these guys, these prophets had long beards. 
And they believed that something supernatural happened when if they could bend over far enough like this and allow their, bend, their, their beard to drag the ground as they did their chant. And so they've been chanting, so now they're bending over with their beards. Come on, Baal, you can do it. Put a little fire to it. I don't know. Again, imagination, people. And so nothing's happening. And so it's getting later in the day, and so Elijah, he gets brave. He starts taunting them. He said, oh, maybe, maybe your God just is asleep right now. Maybe Baal had to go take a potty break. Maybe he's gone. I mean, things like this. He begins to taunt them, you know. And so then they get them a little more desperate. And then they, the Bible says they started cutting themselves. And they begin to let blood drip out. Then I believe their chant changed. Come on, Baal, save our tail. Come on, Baal, save our tail. Okay, well, just a little bit. I believe that's what I would have prayed, wouldn't you? I mean, they're going to die if he didn't show up. And so sure enough, as evening passes, nothing happens. They have been so crazy, the Bible says, that they've just about destroyed this altar. I mean, they've, they've knocked it over. I mean, there's 450 of them. They've pushed each other around into it. They've done all, all this stuff, and nothing's happened. And now, Elijah's turn. And look what Elijah says to the people. Here we go. 1 Kings 18, he says this. Then Elijah called to the people, come over here. They all crowded around him. Now, remember, he's talking to the people of Israel, okay? As he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been what? Torn down. These, these people, let me tell you something. That's, the de- that's what the devil always wants to do is try to tear down your altar. He doesn't want you to have a communing, a communing place with God. He wants to tear down your altar. And so it goes on and says this. So he took 12 stones, one to repair each of the tribes of, uh, 12 stones, one that represented each of the tribes of Israel, and he used the stones to rebuild the altar in the name of the Lord. And so here's what I want to tell you. Your altar today is not, you know, some physical thing. Now, here at the church, we call this area in the front the altar area. You know why? Because that's what we call a place, and people decide here sometimes to come and make a connection with God. It just symbolizes that. But you have a personal altar, every one of you, if you've accepted Christ, and it's right here in your heart. That's where God wants to make a connection with you. And let me just say something. The first thing is we have to repair that connection with God, that relationship with God, our altar in our heart. We have to con- uh, repair that. How do you do it? How do you repair that? Well, the, the Bible says this in 1 Peter 5 and 6. It says this. Would you look at this verse with me? Look what he says. He says, humble yourself, therefore, under God's what? Mighty hand. God, our God is not a weakling. Would you please quit talking to our God like he's a weakling? Oh, Lord, if you can somehow, some way, Lord. No, God, do it, right? Okay, right. He goes on and says this. He says, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up when? In due time. We'll talk about that in a minute. Cast all your cares upon him, for he what? Cares for you. So here's what I want you to know. The way you, you repair your altars, you humble yourself before God. How do you humble yourself? You say, God, listen, Lord, you're right, and I'm wrong, and I need your help. I've messed this up. God, I, Lord, I thought I, I don't know how to be a great parent. I don't know how to be a great wife. God, I, I don't know how to be a great employee. I don't know how to teach these students. So, Lord, I need your help. That's what you, you humble yourself. God, I need you. I just need you. And then the Bible says you humble under God's mighty hand. That means believing that he can do what you can't do, right? 
Is that God, when you humble yourself, you say, God, I can't do it, you can do it. Then it, his mighty hand begins to move. His mighty hand begins to move. Then he says, in due time, again, we'll come back to that. Then he says, cast all your cares on him, for he cares for you. So when you, when you come to your time of worship to God, you know what you do? You're to worship God. You say, God, I love you, and I bless you, and then you're to give your worries to God. There's two offerings that you bring to your altar, and that is worship and worry. And listen, you lay, you, you, you lay your worship down, or you lay your worry down, and you raise your worship up. And you know what that means? You say, God, I don't know, Lord, what to do here. And God, this is driving me crazy, and I, I can't do anything about this situation. So God, I give it to you. I put it on the altar now. But God, I know that you can. You're the great God. You've got a mighty hand, Lord. You can do anything. You spoke the world into existence, oh God. You exist, oh Lord. You're greater than my storm, oh God. You can give me wisdom that I don't have, God. You can bless my finances, oh God. You can restore my marriage, oh God. You can raise my children up, oh God. You can do it. God, I lay it down, but I raise you up. He said, cast your cares on him. Throw them on him, right? Don't just bring your worship. Bring your worry too. You see, bring your, leave your worry and walk away with your worship, right? Yes. Oh, and then he said these two magical words. I have read this verse thousands of times, but this week I got something I want to give to you. Notice those two words we underlined in that verse. What are they? What are they? Due time. time. Ladies, you ladies that have had children, do you know what a due date is? (laughs) Aren't you happy about that due date? I uh, saw one of the young ladies in our church in the the 9 o'clock service, and and she's due in August. And she had that little waddle on, you know. And I could see it on her, you know. You know, ladies, you know what I'm talking about. It's like, here you come with your hand on your back when it's nine months, right? And you got that cute little waddle on. And we're all going, is it almost time? You're going, yes. Yes. I remember Rhonda. About nine months, she's like, oh, I'm I'm tired of this. Get this thing out of me. Right? Because you had a due date. And here's what I want to tell you about due dates. When it comes with children, you have a due date. And that means that the closer you get to that due date, sometimes the more miserable you get. Am I right about that, ladies? And then the more miserable you get, but then there's the big pain, right? That called, that's called a labor pain. I didn't know what it was until one hit Rhonda, and then it hit me. <laughs> she hit me. That's just a, the pain. When the pain hit her, she hit me. Don't you do that. I was like, don't go. Got bad. Well, what I want to tell you today is that on your problem, he says, he says, humble yourself under God's mighty hands. And when you do, you humble yourself. He said, then in due time, that means that God has put an expiration date on your problem. <laughs> that, means, that means that God put a date on your answer. And just like carrying a child, we don't know exactly when it's going to come. We're like, they can give you a due date all day long, but they can't tell you when that baby's coming, right? It's when that pain hits that you know it's on its way. And I'm trying to tell you today, some of you have been praying about stuff, and you've been praying about it. Well, today we're going to lay it on the altar. Why? Because God's going to put an expiration date on that problem and a due date on that answer. And God's got your answer on the way. Amen? Amen.
even though it seems like nothing's happening right now, I'm telling you, something is on the way. There is a day, it may be tomorrow, it may be next week, it may be next year, I don't know. But when you lay it on the altar, God puts a due date on that thing and says, this problem is going to expire on this day, and the answer is going to come on this day. Amen? Isn't that exciting? It's exciting. So what I want to say to you is this, is on your connection card, I have a next step. It says this, I will do my best to go to my altar daily with God. Why don't you have a meeting with God every day? Right there on the altar of your heart. You see, Elijah, he had the altar there, but Elijah wanted to pray a big prayer. So you know what he did? Elijah said, okay, we got the wood here, we got the sacrifice, they rebuilt the altar. Then he said, bring some water in, boys. Let's wet this wood. Let's make it real interesting. We don't want to say a, a spark started this fire. They put so much water on it, the Bible says that they had a trench around it, and it, the water filled all those trenches all the way around it. And then Elijah prayed. You know what? I believe he prayed, God, would you send Baal, Baal straight to... No, no. I don't know. Maybe he didn't say that. I don't know. But anyways, you know... He began to pray, and he said, God, would you do this? And look what the Bible says. Here it is. He prayed a bold prayer. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so these people would know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. Okay, now look here what happened. Let's read what's on the line. You ready? Come on. Then the fire of the Lord fell. Let's read it again. Then the fire of the Lord fell. One more time. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and all the soil, and also licked up the water in the trenches. When all the people saw this, they fell down and cried. Let's say it. You ready? The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Amen? The Lord is God. That's what happened. When God is put, listen, when God is put to the test and your enemies are coming in, God will always send the fire when you call out to him. Amen? Amen. It will happen. God, God sent the fire. It burned everything up, dried up the ground, and all of a sudden people said, he's God. He's God. Baal is not God. God, God's God. You see, remember this? When I go to the altar, remember our statement? When I go to the altar, it's coming up on the screen. When I go to the altar, God alters my situation. You got to go to the altar. In 1940, there was a man by the name of Louis Zeppernini. Louis was training to be an athlete, a long distance runner in the 1940 Olympics that was going to be held in Japan. But something happened called World War II. And now all of a sudden, the Olympics were called off. He, like all the young men, joined the army. And he was flying around in a B-24 bomber. And also, he, he flew on some planes that was uh, flying in missions that were there to help rescue people, rescue missions. And when he was on one of those rescue missions, his plane went down into the ocean. Out of all the crewmen, his, oh, he and two other people survived. They floated around in the Pacific for over 47 days. And during that journey of floating around for 47 days, one of the people that had survived the plane crash actually died. I think was eaten by a shark. And so it left him and another guy. They survived 47 days. It's the longest that anyone has ever been adrift in the ocean and survived. And sure enough, finally they reached land. 
But the way that they reached land was by an enemy Japanese ship. The Japanese took them ashore, and they took them into a POW camp. And he said what he thought was torturous on the waters trying to survive for 40 days became like a picnic to what they would experience over the next couple years. They were tortured. They were starved within an inch of their life, as he said. And he said the only way that he survived was hatred. He said, I began to hate those people. And I determined I would not die. I would not die. I would live long enough just to kill one of them. And he said that he, he began to go through that hatred, began to grow so bad in his life. And finally the war ended. And they were released. And he come back home to California to his wife. But because he come back home, his hatred come back home too. And he, began, he was such a hate, hateful man, so full of hate and bitterness that it, it was destroying him. And he became, heavily, he became a heavy drinker and almost to the point of being an alcoholic. And his wife could hardly tolerate him because he was so, so angry and so mad. 1949, a Billy Graham crusade was happening in California. And his wife was invited and she went and she gave her life to God. And she begged her husband every night, would you please, Lewis, go back, go with me, go with me tonight, please go with me. And he refused to go, and he even used a few choice words to tell her never to ask him again. But on Friday night, she took it all on her hands again, her fate in her hands, and she asked Lewis, Lewis, please, one more time, I'm asking you, would you do it for me and for our family? Would you go? And he broke down and said, I'll go to the beep de beep meeting with you. And he went there determined that he was going to tell her that it done him no good. And so he's sitting in the stand and he listened to Billy Graham talk. And the more Billy Graham spoke, the more his heart began to open. And at the end of that, at the end of that sermon, in that stadium, Billy Graham had everyone stand. And he said, I'm going to ask you to say a bold prayer at an altar. And when you do, the God of fire answers. And he said, I'm going to challenge you to get out of your seat and make a bold step down to the front. And Lewis was one of those people that took a bold step that day. Very skeptical. But he said when he got to the front, to the altar space like this, all of a sudden he made an altar here. And he prayed a bold prayer. He said, God, if you're real, I need you to help me forgive these people and I need you to help me conquer this alcohol that's killing me and right there a miracle of God took place God saved him and immediately his desire for alcohol went away because he didn't have an alcohol problem he had a hatred problem and when God took that away he restored his life and his family even so much so that he went back to Japan and he looked some of those people in the eye and he said I want you to know I forgive it's the power of God. When I go to the altar, God alters my situation. Hi, this is Pastor Jeff again. I just want to say I hope you enjoyed today's message. If you would like to support God's work through Stockbridge Community Church, simply go to our website at secview.net. Again, that's secview.net. And click the Give tab. We want to thank you again for being with us today. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.